Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show which talks to Christian leaders about the topics that really matter. I'm Andy Peck. Few church leaders would question the Great Commission is part of the church's mandate. Jesus asked his disciples to make disciples of him. But to what extent are we actually making disciples? One leader that came face to face with this question is Andy Elms, senior pastor of Family Church, Portsmouth. He's distilled his thinking into a book entitled God's Blueprint for the Church. So welcome back to the Leadership File, Andy. Oh, thanks, Andy. It's great to be back. Um, I, I intimated in the introduction you came to a, a point in your ministry when you were asking questions about what you were doing. So perhaps you could remind us first about your journey to that point with the church that you serve in Portsmouth. Yeah, we've been, uh, we started the church 17 years ago. And we really started, uh, like with the model that most people start, to produce this hypermarket, this um, supermarket, you know, as big as it could be for the glory of God. Um, and then a little bit into the journey, God really began to speak to us more about the the thought of having um, communities affected by different churches. So we really uh, then got into church planting. And so we started 17 years ago, and now we're 11 congregations instead of that one big one. Um, at the center of that was just the thought of a Great Commission and the difference between crowd and disciple. I think what we were good at in the early days was drawing crowds, but God wanted us to come to the point that it's not just about drawing crowds. Now, I mean, some people listening would think, well, crowds would be would be a bonus you know, from what we've got. You know, maybe maybe the church has not been growing. So you're, the, the things that drew the crowds presumably were, um, you know, lively worship, um, you know, preaching that uh, that touched people's lives, that sort of thing. Yeah, we, you know, like most uh, churches around today, we put a lot of emphasis on attractional, and that's not wrong. Attractional is good. Attraction, attractional is packaging, um, and it's important that we get people to want to come to church. They feel welcome when they come in church. But we've also got to remember that the church isn't meant to be a people storage unit, and I think sometimes some of the dangers of being just uh, solely focused on attraction or on how do we get people in, how do we grow a crowd, we actually miss the point of what our commission is, which is to make disciples. And so for me, the journey was really a journey where we didn't stop being attractional or making church the best it could be in the 21st century, but rather I coined it in a phrase. I said it's time for the 21st century church to return to a first century vision. And in that statement, you know, my heart really is, let's make church look and run and feel as best as it can. But let's not lose or forget the actual origins or the actual purpose the architect had for us. I mean, Jesus is explicit in his instructions about making disciples, uh, certainly in in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, so-called. Do you think we've assumed that because someone makes a decision for Christ that they become a disciple? Is that part of the problem? Churches don't yeah. think about what you're talking about. Yeah. I think, um, like you say, Matthew 28 is one of those treasures that's um, surfacing in modern Christianity again. I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a church leader that runs a very attractional church. We're very modern. We've got all the lights and all the 
the um, other stuff that goes with a tractional church. But more and more, I'm sensing that the architect of a church, the blueprint of a church, which is Jesus, knew what he was thinking when he said 2,000 years ago, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And for us, at Family Church, we really felt just a real heartbeat of God to push some of the other blueprints that we designed off of the table to blow some of the dust away but we've allowed to build upon that original blueprint and really get back to asking the questions all right lord we don't want to be busy building sunrooms and conservatories at the cost of not building what you wanted built when i started to go down that line of thought one of the pulsing veins um, of his intention that stood out to me was matthew 28 but he said go and make disciples and in that statement there's two very profound directions number one we're to go again my problem with a lot of the modern church even the one that i was leading was there wasn't the encouragement to go like there used to be in the early church in the first century church now when i talk about returning to the vision of a first century church i'm not talking about style i'm not talking about returning to what the church looked like in those days i'm talking about its dna and right at the center of its dna was this little word called go um and you know i often uh tongue-in-cheek ask the question what is it about go we don't understand is it the g or the o that confused us <laughs> because a lot of the time it doesn't look like the church is going it looks like it's staying but yet the heartbeat of Jesus for his church was that we would be, I say to our congregations, that we would be a right bunch of goers, not a bunch of stayers. But again, we don't, I don't think we're called to open big, huge people storage units. I think we've got to be brilliant at attracting people, but then also discipling them. And the part of that discipleship is we get them ready to release them again, not just to Africa and India, but to be missionaries or missional-minded in their local worlds. Because, again, Jesus said, first Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. So in the Great Commission, we find this incredibly powerful, mobilizing word called go. And for us, the last five years has been about re-embracing that. Then when you're just getting over the power of that little word, you get the rest of the commission, which is and make. And I think for us at Family Church... We're busy going, both locally, internationally. We're taking responsibility for the three spheres that Jesus called us to, putting majority of effort on the local sphere, which is our Jerusalem, which for us is Portsmouth, or where the other congregations are located. But more and more, over the last 12 months, my attention's been drawn to and make. And I've started to realize just simple truths, Andy, like there's a difference in the Bible between crowds and disciples. Jesus never had a problem growing a crowd or getting a crowd. But at the same time, what people didn't notice was he was continually drawing out of the crowd people that wanted something more than crowd experience. Because let's face it, crowds are there for what they can get. But disciples are there for what they can become. And I think we've got to take on again that model that Jesus had, that we are good at drawing crowds, but we're also good at drawing from the crowd people that want to be followers of Jesus. To answer the question that you gave initially, I think, yeah, discipleship is a step beyond your salvation commitment. The thief on the cross, he went to heaven, absolutely, but it didn't go changed because there hadn't been time for discipleship. 
I believe we need to lead people to the initial step of salvation, but then we need to help them take the subsequent steps of allowing God's Spirit and His Word to cause this transformation where they become followers of the Christ they've given their life to. Now, when, when Jesus tells his disciples to um, to teach them to do everything he commanded them to do, it included, of course, in his ministry, uh, announcing the kingdom, healing the sick, casting out demons. Some churches have ignored this part of the command or believe it's not for today. I just uh, wonder how you understand that part of the, of the Great Commission as you have been reflecting on it. I don't see any statements of reversal or... Um I don't see Jesus anywhere in the Word saying that this was for a certain dispensation. Um, to me, if you're given marching orders, you keep marching until someone tells you to stop. Um, I believe that the commission that was given to the first century church, with every es- uh, emphasis placed within it, is still the commission of the 21st century church. We've got to work out how we package that with attractional um, how do we be the missional people God called us to be where we raise? You know, we shouldn't just be thinking about raising disciples. We need to be thinking, how do we raise disciple makers? So that this thing, you know, the world wasn't changed by crowds, Andy. It was, you know, it was changed by disciples. I love one verse in the book of Acts where it says, you know, after Jesus had died, been buried, risen from the dead, it says, and, and I believe it was Peter made this speech and he said, to the disciples, and they were 120 in number. Well, well, wait a moment. Jesus drew thousands upon thousands in crowds, yet after his death, burial, and resurrection, there's 120 numbered. But I'll tell you what, the power in that 120 was enough to change the world. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So how did you realign your your ministry to make discipleship a priority? And we... Um, I realise I may have to go to a break in a minute, but uh, perhaps you could start the answer to to that question. Yeah, certainly. I changed the priority in me. Um, As a leader, if your priorities aren't right, the priorities of the church aren't going to be right. Then I changed the priorities. You know, there's an old example of the anointing oil on Aaron's head. First it hits the head, then it hits the beard, then it affects the body. Any change in church has to come from the head to the heart to the body. I believe that's what we do we started to speak about it in church and I was very blunt and I said to the church you know the last 14 or so years um, you know I've been just been saying come come and I've, I've dedicated my life to to um, filling church now I'm going to dedicate my life to emptying it not <laughs> with offensive preaching mm. but through mobilization and we put a lot of um, priority on it and the church wait to see if it's fashionable if you're going to move on but we haven't. About five years later, we're still saying we are a going church and we are a disciple-making church. You always get some that are just going to sit and watch, but there's others that are in the congregation that want to be the followers of Christ that Christ called them to be. That's wonderful, Andy. Well, you're listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Andy Elms, the senior pastor of Family Church Portsmouth. Um, we're talking particularly about a book he's written called God's Blueprint for the Church and particularly focusing on the Great Commission. We'll be back just after this. And welcome back to the Leadership Farm with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Andy Elms, the senior pastor of Family Church Portsmouth. 
He's distilled his thinking about the Great Commission into a book entitled God's Blueprint for the Church. And we were talking before the break of how Andy um, told his church that uh, he was going to change his focus. And uh, as, he, as he put it, he'd been spending a lot of time or many years filling the church. He was now going to go about emptying it via enabling people to become disciple makers themselves by going as Jesus commanded us and making uh, other disciples. So, uh, Andy, along the way, did you, were there any tools that you used to help people grow spiritually? Anything particular that that you either wrote or that you've used that others have written that have helped in the, in the process? Really, I didn't need too many, Andy, to be honest with you. I mean, my book, God's Blueprint for His Church, was really um, a revisitation to the book that really matters. I think in this media-driven age, we've got far too many books about far too many subjects, mm. and people make the books their um, directions instead of the Word of God. Mm. And for me, I wanted to know, Jesus, what did you want built? And for me, that only meant a return to the Gospels and the Book of Acts and to take this thing back to the, to, to the whiteboard or to the architect's table. And so for me, the tool I wanted that was important to me was what does Jesus want? And as soon as I started turning the pages with that heartbeat, I started to see again this heartbeat that he has for the lost. I started to see again just this driving commission that the church, not out of legalism, but out of desire, should want to go not be forced to go to the precinct every Saturday and sing a few songs, but rather in our lifestyle, Jesus commissioned us to be goers, but we never will until we love what he loves, or if we don't understand that there is a heaven or a hell. We live um, in a world where we talk a lot about it, but if we believe that, then especially those we say we love, we're going to be going into their worlds trying to win them into this kingdom that's changed ours. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's terrific to hear. And, um, you know, um, a, a lot of leaders I speak to, I ask them, you know, what's, what books have really affected you? And they say, well, the Bible. And it kind of seems like a cliche. But, uh, but it's lovely to hear you say that actually it's the Bible itself that has, that has uh, propelled you into this kind of missional outlook and, uh, and helping to make disciples. So it's terrific. Now, I mean, some churches that get serious about discipleship flip over into legalism sometimes by their own admission how do you keep grace central in this how do you keep it so that people don't think oh here's the leader having a go at me again to to, to do a, a whole bunch of things which they then feel guilty about not doing i mean grace is key but you know as you know people can take grace to extremes it was never meant to go to but grace is a reality you know i think of to me the balance is that we understand we were created by and created for I do a whole chapter in my book on this subject. But Paul said yeah, that we were created or we were saved by grace, not of our own doing, so that no one but boast. And a lot of people stop reading there and just say, hey, I'm saved by grace, I'm saved by grace, I'm saved by grace. Yes, you are. I believe in the finished work of the cross. But Paul hadn't finished speaking. He never left the room for a cup of tea. The very next statement he makes is, and we are God's workmanship, created for good works. That word good works means to do business. So when you look at that, the entirety of what Paul's saying, what he's saying is, yeah, you've got to understand you were positioned by God. You never saved yourself. You're saved by grace. And that's the produce of a faith you placed in his finished work. But when you understand that, it shouldn't produce spiritual laziness. I think if people have a commitment to spiritual laziness, they've misunderstood grace. But what happens is 
grace changes your heart. And suddenly you have a heart that wants to do God's business. But again, we need to remember we're not Jehovah's Witnesses. We're not doing something to get something. But rather we're expressing new lifestyle because we've understood what we've received in this incredible miracle of salvation. To me, legalism is a misunderstanding of grace. But to me also, I've seen a whole bunch of people that say they understand grace that are living in and wallowing in nothing short of spiritual laziness, where they don't understand that if you've got the heartbeat of God, then the manifestation of the heartbeat of God, just like when we teach on John 15, him, him vine, me branch. If we believe that, then we believe that the life that's in the branch is same as the life that's in the vine to which it's connected. So to me, we need to understand what grace has produced. We are saved by grace, but that shouldn't produce legalism. It should produce a desire that wants to go, Andy. Not, oh, I have to, I feel obliged, but rather, wow, you know what? Out of anything I've done by inherent gift, I am now saved by grace. And that now produces in me a desire to love what Jesus loves to do what Jesus wants done, which is God's business on the earth. So to me, you know, legalism is a misunderstanding of grace, but so is spiritual laziness. I think we need to understand. I often say this when I teach on the subject. If you can convince me that after Adam was made by God, he found contentment sitting in the garden doing nothing, making daisy chains, then you will convince me that the new creation, which is the produce of God, finds contentment sitting in church doing absolutely nothing but sitting on his blessed assurance. It's that, not true. That's wonderfully put, <laughs> wonderfully put, Andy. Thank you. We were made by a purpose-driven God, hmm. but we don't... We find, we find joy, just like Adam found joy in being about the Father's business. That's the heartbeat of somebody saved by grace. Hmm. So some of the outcomes, Andy, of your, of your change of approach in terms of church, you talked about planting other churches, so you, your congregation became smaller in a sense. Yes, it did. Yeah, it, it had outworkings on different levels. And one of the out levels, uh, outworkings, as I said, was up to that point, all I had was a model of how big can we grow one church. Then I started realizing that a lot of the communities weren't ever going to come to this hypermarket we were building. Now, I didn't want to build small church. I think every church starts small but should be growing. But more and more, what we did is I started to take people offerings. And we took people offerings by saying, okay, there's a community over there that don't have a life-giving church in it. I need some of you who are comfortable, who love our preaching, who have got a load of friends here that you could live with all of your days to sacrifice all of that to go and reach these people that need to find this Jesus has changed our life. One offering, there were 70 people came forward. And what we did is we planted them out because we want to be selfless in our love. Um, and from that point, we just started planting. Now we planted in Guildford, Haven, Paulsgrove, up near Southampton, um, Philippines. And there is, really is a buzz. I can't say in all because, you know, a percentage of any church will have people that really don't want to do a thing. They just want to come for two hours on Sunday, sit and get on with their life. I don't know what to say about them. I just leave them to God, I suppose. But from the stage, I'm going to really be preaching a non-obligation, desire-based excitement 
to be a part of this commission, the Spillar Commission. And then you get some people, as Jesus did, that want to step out of the crowd and be followers in that area of life. And you've got others that just want to be the crowd because they're there for what they can get. Mm. Um, Jesus loved the crowd, Andy. He blessed them. He did what he could to make their lives better. But he focused a lot of his attention on those like the fishermen and Zacchaeus, on people that said, wait a minute, I want more than crowd. I want to be a follower. Yeah. So what would you say to church leaders who, who hear you and they think, crumbs, you're absolutely right. I know that I need to fit, switch my focus to being more deliberate about discipleship. Presumably you're saying that it needs to start with them first of all, from what you've said to me. Yeah, it starts at the top. You know, so much about Christianity is fashionable. You know, and recently church planting became fashionable. If you only had one church, you had to have three more campuses. Now, that's all good, praise God. But you can't do things just that are not going to be sustainable. You've got to have a persuasion in your heart when you take the church in a new direction, a persuasion that says, this is it till Jesus comes, brother. If that persuasion is not there, all you're doing is like waves. You're not doing tidal change. You're just making new waves. And they can cost you in the momentum of your church. It always starts at the top. You know, I believe that church leadership, God positions a person with a vision in them. They outwork that vision through a heartbeat or a heart, which is the leadership of a church. And that same vision comes from the heart into the body. But it starts with the leader saying, let's face it. I mean, five years ago, I was sitting there and I had a crowd, Andy. We pulled some churches together and I had a big crowd. I should have been the happiest man if, if winning is about numbers, I'd won. But I wasn't happy because I started to ask questions. Who's in the crowd? What's in the crowd? What effect is this crowd having on my community apart from Sunday? And I didn't like the answers. And so I started this journey, and out of it came the book, God's Blueprint for His Church. But before the book was the journey, where I said, no, you know what? Even if I've got half the numbers, I've got to believe that what I'm leading pleases heaven. That's great. And I believe that now. Yeah. No, it's terrific. Well, it's terrific to, to sense your journey. And uh, and it was a challenge um, for you to do that. Um, but it's been great to hear the some of the outcomes. And, uh, I, and thought I, was gonna, I thought I was going to lose a lot of people when I did this, Andy. Hmm. But I didn't lose them because what I didn't realize was a lot of them were bored stiff. They were waiting for something like this. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of the modern church is bored stiff. It says, <laughs> OK, nice carpets. Muffins on silver trays, brilliant. But surely there's more to Christianity than this. And so for me, the moment I changed, I found a church that was like a match-finding strike paper. Yeah. I got really excited. Yeah, yeah. No, that's terrific. Well, sadly, time's come to an end, uh, Andy, but just time to, to mention how listeners can get a copy of uh, your book, uh, God's Blueprint for the Church, and indeed other books that you've written. So it's uh, Get a Life, isn't it? Get a Life. No, it's www.greatbiglife. Great Big Life. I do apologise. <laughs> .co.uk. Great Big Life. What is it? Of course, life. <laughs> they're, they're all available on all the other famous online outlets as well. Hmm. Um, if you just put in Andy Elms, that's E-L-M-E-S. Um, and the book that we're talking about today is God's Blueprint for His Church. So they're on the online outlets, but also available through www.greatbiglife.co.uk. Fantastic. And uh, when so... Uh, do um, do log on to, to the website and uh, find out more about Andy. So, Andy, thank you so much, as always, for your enthusiasm and for the, 
the very clear way that you express and and an all very evocative way that you express your your views. Uh, lots of word pictures there, which uh, will thrill uh, those who've been listening to you. So thank you so much. Thank you. So you've been listening to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I was joined this week by Andy Elms. He's the senior pastor of Family Church Portsmouth. Uh, you can get a copy of uh, <clears throat> God's Blueprint for the Church by going to www.greatbiglife.co.uk. Uh, so I'd urge you to do that. And indeed, if you're a leader of a, a, a church, to think seriously about the, some of the emphases that Andy has been bringing out in terms of making sure you're not just building a crowd, but actually making a disciple, because that's what uh, Jesus said we should do. So do tune in again next Sunday at 3.30. I look forward to your company then. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk. 